0: The following is brought to you by the Leave it in the Ring Podcast Network. All boxing, no filter. Oh! That's another knockdown! He's not getting up, Jim! He's not getting up, Jim! He's not getting up! No! He's been knocked out! It's over! Mamma mia! He's done it! Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko! AJ does it in style! Beaten down, hopeless, without an answer... Shanko has made Regan down quick. It's Fistionados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, Fight Fans. It is Tuesday, July 16th, and this is the Fistionados podcast on the Leave it in the Ring radio network. I'm your host, Evan Rutkowski, former HBO sports marketing executive, giving you my take on ...on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. Email me at fistianatos at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistianatos pod. We are brought to you by Ring Magazine and ringtv.com. Deep Dive this week will actually be on the upcoming pay-per-view fight. Usually I look at those in review. I am going to look at the, that one as a preview this time... And then before we get into it, special shout out: uh, Ray Bartholomew did a great article on PBC Twitter where I talked to him for a little bit, and I was quoted in it. It was a really fun thing to be a part of, and and just a fun sort of phenomenon to to be sort of not just part of, but be, you know, not just be a witness to it, but be involved with. And uh, definitely, like, shout out to all of those guys. And, and and women, too. He interviewed Nicole Duva, too. So shout out to everyone interviewed for that. Um, that was a lot of fun. All right. Let's jam through the review section here. Kind of a longer deep dive that we'll do. So let's try to get through the 4th of July weekend stuff quick. There wasn't a whole lot of action. Really no ratings to report. The ESPN Plus card from Kazakhstan had Nordin Uvali beating Arthur Villanueva by KO6. Dezone had a foreign card that wasn't super noteworthy. So, following, again quite a few shows on from all over the world, and we'll talk about all this sort of in a larger context in a second, but let's just get through it. Um, on Friday, July 12th, from Osaka, Japan, on ESPN+, Plus, Ryota Murata wins by KO2 over Rob Brandt in the rematch for Brandt's WBA regular title. The undercard had Kenshiro winning by KO4 over Jonathan Tekoning. These were really fun fights to watch, and for Murata specifically, I mean, it sounds like there's a rematch clause for Brant, and the winner of, of that third fight is a player in the division. I mean, Murata does crazy ratings in Japan. I think over 11 million people watched it, and it did some absolutely bonkers numbers in terms of total percentages of, of populations watching it there. Uh, but this this fight, if there is a third fight, it, it fills a void for ESPN and top Rank because there isn't an obvious opponent for either of them fighting on the ESPN platform or plat- one of the platforms but you know both fights have been really fun I'd be psyched to see it again there was also a showbox card I don't normally go over this stuff uh but just for the context of the entire weekend it wasn't super noteworthy I think it did about 220,000 viewers uh, but there was a Showbox card on Friday night. So on Saturday, July 13th, a really busy day with three sort of uh, U.S.-based cards that, that weren't prime inventory, but let's go to the U.K. one first. On ESPN+, Daniel Dubois defeats Nathan Gorman by KO5, and Joe Joyce beats Brian Jennings by unanimous decision. This was a a pretty fun card to watch. I mean, you know, one of the things I think that was interesting here for me, and this is just as a viewer, we're so used to watching finished products fight at – especially at heavyweight in the U.S. because most of the time there's not that many American prospects where we see their rise up on TV. And so when foreign guys come and fight, we usually see them later in their careers or or we've gotten conditioned to only watch – Uh, the bigger heavyweight fights just because up until the last couple of years, the division has not been uh, with a high profile in the United States. You sort of only see the big ones. Anyways, larger point here. Neither Dubois nor Gorman are are finished products and you saw it in the fight. I mean, I actually actually think both of them have really strong potential. I mean, definitely Dubois. Gorman does too though. And we, we didn't, like these guys are young and, and, and they didn't look really remote not remotely close to finished products, but they're they're young for heavyweights too. Like they're really young for heavyweights. I mean, these guys could both end up being really good. Uh and and I think, you know, a couple of people have talked about this. Like, we just don't see these kind of matches made in the United States because there's too much to lose and and in England, I mean, these guys filled up the O2 Arena in London. Basically, I don't, I don't, it didn't look like a complete sellout, but I mean, I thought that was pretty impressive. And this was a big fight in the UK. I really enjoyed it. I think they both can be in big fights in the coming years. I mean, I, you know, yes, it was a it was a KO five, but Nathan Gorman can come back from this. I mean, he did show some some skill that I saw in there. And, and I mean, Daniel Dubois, you know, you don't want to say complete sky's the limit, but he, sky is, you know, he he is very, there's a lot of great potential there. And, and he, you know, looks like he has uh, a, a big time future. Uh, let's move on to the undercard. Joe Joyce looked really good too. He won a wide decision. I think it easily could have been scored closer in um, the, the narrative with Joyce is that he has really slow hands and he's old and they need to rush him. And And those are both correct. I mean, yes, the dude has really slow hands, but when he stepped up and he's taken fights with increasingly higher levels of competition, the one point I think is just worth making here. And, and I'm not trying to be a, a Joe Joyce hipster here. I'm just saying we have yet to see this come, come back to haunt him. And Maybe he won't be able to overcome that lack of hand speed at a higher level than Brian Jennings. But like one of the things about the heavyweight division, I mean, there's actually in in this day and age, there's not that much, uh, you know, there's basically two higher levels than Brian Jennings. I mean, there's like a top four or five once you include Usyk, and those guys are levels above Brian Jennings. And then there's another group of like five or six guys, maybe seven or eight or something like that, and then. After that level, you're at the Bryant-Jennings level. So if it hasn't haunted him yet, I mean, there's – all of a sudden, it's like, when is it going to haunt him? And I'm not saying I think Joe Joyce – I think this will come back to haunt him. But as he continues to step up, I'm I'm really excited to see where the level it is, that you know what level it is that actually makes him pay for it because he's got a lot of other interesting attributes. And I think he makes good fights. Um, and, and it's just, he's never going to have the hand speed. So it's interesting to watch him figure out how to compensate for his lack of hand speed. You know, and, and look, I mean, I think if he would step up to a Dillian White or an Adam Karnaski, he'd probably lose. But I'd love to see him fight like Gerald Washington or something like that. I mean, you know, I am I am interested in, in continuing to watch the Joe Joyce... Experience, And I like it when people get moved along this quickly. Uh, so moving over to the U.S., staying with ESPN, or the ESPN family of networks, but we're on regular ESPN now. Shakur Stevenson beats Alberto Guevara by KO3 at featherweight from Newark. Joshua Greer beats Nikolai Potapov by a really close majority decision at bantamweight in the undercard. The show averages 530,000 viewers and was the number 20 cable show of the day. Uh, and, and 530,000 viewers is not a great number in terms of total viewers. And And when we get to the PBC show, neither is that. But I want to take a minute here just because we're sort of looking a little bit deeper just as this, at this weekend – In particular, just because I think it's so representative of what boxing has become in this day and age. And I think it's, in some ways, it's like everyone's fear, but also why there's so much excitement around, like how many just the sort of sheer quantity of fights that can get made. So, for further context, the 530,000 viewers, it is a low overall total. It's not as bad as, you, as it actually looks like on paper, though. First of all, kind of a bad day for TV ratings in general. I mean, just in general, in terms of the, the major networks, Fox, like, no one had a good night on Saturday night. Fox only averaged 2.2 2 million viewers for its Saturday Night Baseball, and I think that was, like, the second highest rated show of anything. Or you know, I think that there may have been a few, you know, there was... I think, like, NBC Nightly News won the night or something like that. Like, just not a great, exciting night of TV. When you go to cable, like, Wimbledon did pretty well for ESPN in the morning and kind of like everything else on TV, didn't do great at all, really. Um, I mean, usually when Top Rank uh, gets a rating like this, where there's, they're in the 500s, they're below 600, it's usually, like, the number 40 or 50 or 60 show of the night it was the number 20 show overall for the day. And some of that is because it was at on at a later time. Like, it, it comes on at 10.30 p.m. and by airing so late, you know, it, you're, it, it the TV universe becomes a little bit different. But it's rating in the 18 to 49 age group, like, that's – it actually doesn't really do too bad for that. And when you look at these numbers, again, like, without context – The number twenty-one show of the day on cable actually got over a million viewers. It was on the Food Network. But that show crushed it in an age demo that no one cares about. And Top Rank actually did, you know, especially for men eighteen to forty nine, did pretty decent. I mean it, it like very decent, respectable numbers in that group, and that's kind of what drove it to get such a not a high overall number of viewership, but a high enough rating just to, to be respectable. I don't want to sugarcoat this. I just want to say today in particular when there were four fight cards on, you could paint a picture that this isn't a warning sign yet. For And, and I keep saying I'll do a show on Top Rank. I, I guess that's going to come next week. The, the, you'll, you'll see why this week. This week I think the, the pay-per-view stuff is a lot more interesting. But you can – this this kind of a rating, when you do... I mean, this was ESPN's second best show on of the day on cable TV in terms of overall ratings. So this isn't the warning shot um, for, oh, it's it's not looking great. It, you know, this was ESPN's second highest rated show of the day. All right, let's move on. On zone from Carson, California, Ray Vargas defends his WBC Junior Featherweight title uh, with unanimous decision win over Tomoki Kameda. Also on the card, Ronnie Rios with a K over si- KO6 over Diego De La Hoya. And then a couple Golden Boy prospects losing in tough matchups. And again, no ratings for this. Kind of an underrated gem of a TV card where we saw Golden Boy put on some really interesting fights. The crowd was really into it. And you know you saw some guys that were you know, supposed to be quote-unquote hyped prospects lose to tough opponents. Like Golden Boy actually put them in tough and it made for good TV. Like, it, it wasn't, you know, like, people got tested and, you, and you, you saw it was pretty exciting. I mean, look, the main event was boring. And I think we're at the point now with Ray Vargas where we need to see, you know, he's just such a, a physically weird fighter for the weight class that we need to see him in big fights at that weight class or we need to see him move up or something. Um, but, again, like, I got through all of this television, you know, it took me till Monday night to get through it all, but I'll be honest, like, there are plenty of weekends that put on much worse overall fight cards with much more mismatched, you know, fights than than this weekend overall. And on that note, let's move on to the FS1 card. Jamal James beats Antonio DeMarco at welterweight by unanimous decision. Gerald Washington wins by KO8 over Robert Hellenius at heavyweight. Charles Martin with a KO4 win, and then Bryant Peral with a KO3 win to open. The show does 234,000 overall viewers. It was the 140th ranked cable show of the day. And, you know, again, like, pretty fun fight card. Like, Jamal James versus Antonio DeMarco, really fun to watch. Gerald Washington with against Robert Hellenius, like, high drama and, and really fun. And I think there were actually some stakes. You know, like, there, there was... The winner of this fight at heavyweight, like, probably puts themselves in a position to get an interesting fight. I mean, you know, again, before people go off and say this is a terrible rating, two hundred thirty-four thousand viewers. Again, it's like the top rank situation. I don't want to sugarcoat that, but and, and especially hundred fortieth ranked cable show of the day, like, definitely don't want to sugarcoat that. But look, eight PM start puts it in a much more competitive time slot than top rank at ten thirty. And, you know, not a whole lot leading up to it. And just based on the pure audience, it gets like just for context, the number 142 ranked show of the day was on National Geographic. And it came out at the same time at 8 p.m. And it did 578,000 viewers. The reason FS1 gets a better rating was because it did better in in the demos that mattered. Uh, And again, not to say it did great. I'm just saying add context so you can't look at the view, total, you know, just the total viewership number and say, oh, it's crap, like no one cares. No, there, there's more to it than that. So a note on the good and bad of, of the show just as pure programming. So, like, the co-main and main event f- fights were really fun fights to watch, like I said above. Like, really enjoyable, like maybe not the highest skill level in the world, but, like, definitely compelling TV and good fights. <laughs> just... This show was scheduled to be 2 hours on on my guide where I recorded it and they scheduled four 10-round fights. Like, let's just be honest here. The first two fights were complete mismatches. They did not need to be on TV and you had to extend your DVR by a full hour if you wanted to catch the two fights that mattered. And this is something I actually I get messaged about this on Twitter quite a quite a bit actually like why do they do this and I don't really know the answer to that I I, you know PVC is known for putting lots of fights on its cards up and down which makes it more difficult overall to schedule the fights that you want to see on um, TV basically but this one like started right on time and I I just don't know you know, the, like they're making the point on the broadcast about how the one guy is, you know, is a waiter at, uh, God, I couldn't, can't even remember, like Ruby Tuesdays or something like that, and it's, and it's like we don't, especially on a weekend where there's six cards on Friday and Saturday, like I don't need to watch Charles Martin's comeback fight against, you know, a, a waiter from Ruby Tuesdays or whatever, so. That would be my only complaint about it. But, like, look, the two fights that mattered for this were really compelling. So, all in all, I mean, this weekend, two fight cards on Friday, one on Showtime, one on ESPN+. Four fight cards of note on Saturday, one on ESPN+, one on ESPN, one on FS1, one on DAZN. I'm not even counting the Amir Khan card from wherever it was in the Middle East. There were actually some really solid undercard fights here, like there were some well-matched main events, there were meaningful foreign fights in other parts of the world. There's nothing really significant that would break out past the niche boxing community in the United States. It showed in the ratings. Like again, I want to add context to them, but none of them were really that high at all. And they they weren't the disasters that some might suggest but this is the boxing world we live in like so much content and the good parts are that some of these fights are getting made and you can build off of it the bad parts are that this is so much you have to be the most hardcore fan of the hardcores to watch all this stuff and it is actually it like it it affects your life to watch all this stuff i can't even imagine how people could do it live you would basically just you know you, you would have to not have a job and just sit there and watch it all live. And this actually kind of timed out so you could, but I I just don't know how people would do it. So that is boxing in 2019, basically, um, at least on, on weekends like this. And it's not to say that the product isn't good in some instances, it is. But let's move on to the deep dive. Actually, before we get there, I did I got a lot of feedback from my last deep dive on Canelo. A few quick things here. Uh some people and I got more than one message about this. Some people took it sort of that I was being negative on Canelo and that's not what I was doing at all. I mean, I, I like I want to be clear. I think there's a deep divide in core boxing fans between Canelo and Triple G and you know, some Canelo fans in particular thought I was letting Triple G off the hook here because he signed a big contract too. But like to the Canelo fans, let me just say this: like, your guy holds all the power here, and it's really not about letting anyone off the hook. Like, Triple G got his hundred million dollar contract because of Canelo. He's like Triple G as as the A side is probably not worth a hundred million dollars for five or six fights or whatever it was on the open market. He's worth that much because of Canelo. Because Canelo exists and a Canelo versus Triple G fight is so much bigger than any other fight that DeZun could make. He's he's not worth the money without Canelo and right now Canelo is making sure that he understands that part. So I think like to the Canelo fans take that as a compliment. It is noteworthy and almost even comical that he relishes the position, the position that he's in so much that he's almost even willing to bite the hand that feeds him. Uh, but we'll see where it's going. Like as of right now, uh, it became pretty clear. So DAZN has only approved two fights for Canelo in the fall, according to, uh, Mike Coppinger, one being Kovalev, the other being triple G and, you know, it, it seems right now like Kovalev might be taking the yard fight. That might just be a bluff. Who knows? Like they were sort of leaning towards Kovalev. There were some money issues. But just so people understand how this works, like this is actually pretty common in terms of how networks make fights. Even for the biggest of stars, like there's usually an approved list of opponents. Even if you signed a long term contract, there are certain, you know, for certain fights, there are certain people that the network can approve. Um, and, and this isn't something that just happens for the biggest stars and and biggest money, like approved opponent lists is something that happens for pretty much big fight cards on networks, for comeback fights, for undercards, even like, that's just kind of how it works. Uh, but I think knowing all this, it just puts it in a little bit of a different light. As to what Canella and Golden Boy were doing, it's it's more of a PR effort when they and and more of a they're talking smack when when they go out there and make those claims, and there some of it there's an audience of one like they're they're going out there basically trying to get under Triple G's skin or or basically just trying to say no 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 we can do whatever we want to do. That's not the case though. They can't like obviously there's usually a, a, a approved opponent list for this kind of stuff. Alright, now that we've got past that. Let's go into the deep dive this week. I want to look at the welterweight division. What is happening on pay-per-view? Who is going to emerge out of this sort of morass of fighters? And like why, as opposed to heavyweight, like why it doesn't feel like we're necessarily getting the the real big ones here. Like there's a lot of factors in play, including what has kind of been a battle between Fox and Showtime for pay-per-view supremacy within the PBC that might actually be over. And I'll get to that in a second. Uh, You know, I want to look at the pathway forward inside this division, and I want to do it all through the looking glass of Pacquiao Thurman, which is obviously coming up this weekend and is a fantastic fight. So let's start with what's happening this weekend, because Pac-Thurman is one of those rarities in boxing uh, where it is a big fight. It's a meaningful fight. It's a closely matched fight. And that's the kind of trifecta you rarely pull off in general, like maybe you get two or three of those each year at the most. I mean, there are stretches of multiple years where if you look back in the last 15 or 20 years, there's a couple stretches where we didn't even get one of these in certain years. And, you know, maybe you got some of them, like, there, but there'd always be an element missing. Like maybe you had some big fights, but they weren't close, or some big fights that were close, but they weren't actually really meaningful in terms of anyone's career narrative or historical significance, um, but I think, I think there's really dynamic changes that are happening in the pay-per-view marketplace right now. I think they're going to change the landscape for, in the future for both in good and bad ways for fighters. I think it's really significantly important because when you play matchmaker at welterweight, these changes will mostly impact that weight class. And, you know, we've said here numerous times, I mean, There's basically three glamour weight classes. heavyweight, middleweight, and welterweight. Well, middleweight right now, at least for the top commercial guys, is dominated by DAZN. Heavyweight is interesting because while DAZN has a lot of the top 10 guys, it's really now four guys at the top commercially. And the big fights are taking place all over. So, I mean, like AJ Ruiz, two is on DAZN. Wilder Fury two looks like February on pay per view, uh, but both guys have fall fights first. Where Wilder's is is headed towards pay per view, we don't know where Fury's fight is headed. You know, we don't really know who Fury's fighting. Uh, I think the really big fights at heavyweight, the really big ones, not you know, not the other ones, but the really big ones are now big enough in a certain stratosphere that some of the nuances that we're about to get into. May not even affect those that much. Like they may just be so big that they're going to do whatever they're going to do in terms of pay per view buys or or subscription, uh, you know, driving fights for the But <clears throat> for welterweight, I mean, let, let's look at Pacquiao Thurman on on pay per view. It is a harbinger of things to come, or at least I think it is. So let's let's get into it. Let's unpack this. So. Pacquiao Thurman, this is a classic pay-per-view fight in a lot of ways. Like Pacquiao is still the commercial draw here based on his performance in terms of pay-per-view buys against Broner. We're sort of back in that world where Pac, like, you know, there, there's not a universe against, you know, a known top opponent where Pac is fighting anywhere besides pay-per-view. Like he, he is a legit pay-per-view fighter at this point. Like maybe if he was on zone he'd be, you know, not quite in the Canelo stratosphere of DAZN pay, but he, he would be in that, hey, that is a DAZN quote-unquote pay-per-view card that you're just not paying the pay-per-view price for. And if you look at the reports, the reports for Pac-Broner, it was, it was just under 400,000 buys. And like, if you look at it just in a traditional sense of how five years ago we looked at pay-per-view, like Broner and Thurman aren't, that far off in terms of opponent. You know, Broner is clearly he has a more devoted fan base and 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 probably a larger fan base than Thurman. But Thurman can counteract that by he's still pretty well known. And he's actually been in some of the most watched fights on TV networks in the past ten years, basically. And you know, time buys or not, and he's Undefeated with a legit belt, uh, he loses points sort of for having that long stretch of inactivity, but oddly coming back to Pacquiao, that that inactivity it would traditionally hurt the fight, but maybe in this case it actually doesn't hurt the fight that much because Thurman would traditionally in a fight like this be looked at the hungry young lion who's going to you know take out the older savvy vet, but Thurman looked so rusty in his last comeback fight. Uh, and, and and still drew a decent audience if you look at the peak audience, which matters most just in terms of purely isolating Thurman's fan base, that rustiness, like, it wouldn't help the fight if we were talking, like, prime Pacquiao, but we're talking 40-year-old Pacquiao, and now it's, like, essentially a 50-50 fight. I mean, the odds makers started with Thurman as a slight favorite, like, and have now flipped it so that Pacquiao's a slight favorite but either way in terms of Vegas odds just from a you know 20,000 foot view like this is as close to a 50-50 fight as you're going to get and like yes they're on the you know for the for the betting public there's going to be smart bettors that are just going to be able to get that dream scenario where they bet on Pacquiao at plus 150 or in the early odds you know, or plus 125 or wherever they got him at, and then there's enough public money that goes on Pacquiao, they might be able to get Thurman at plus 150, so they're just going to make money no matter what. But, you know, 20,000 foot view, it's a coin flip fight, basically. And it's even that it's not just Vegas odds makers. If you ask, like, 20 boxing journalists or experts or whatever, you know, probably half of them would pick Thurman and half of them are going to pick Pacquiao, and I think that adds intrigue to the fight. It's for a legit title. Thurman is undefeated, and and this has a real title, and 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 really is probably the closest thing to a division kingpin that exists in terms of resume. Uh, and and basically, I mean, look, Pacquiao has a weird secondary WBA title, but Thurman has the WBA title, so they're basically fighting for the real WBA title. But you know, when you look at the other fighters. All of them have won titles fairly recently. I mean, Thurman has had his for a while. And Pac almost certainly needs to win this fight to have any hope of getting Mayweather back in the ring, which is clearly the biggest payday that, that Pacquiao craves, you know, for money and legacy, too, at that point. Thurman has a lot of stake, too. I mean, he takes serious steps back if he loses to a 40-0 Pacquiao. Almost everyone will start to question his desire to box, which in and, and, you know, basically they already have been questioning that and they should be questioning that. I mean, anytime you have the injury history that he's had uh, and, and really it's just the injury history of the last two or three years, like th- these are all recycled media points that I'm listing right here, but they're legit points. They add to the intrigue of the fight. And for Keith Thurman, if he wins, you can start to think of Keith Thurman as a legit pay-per-view fighter, even though this is his first one. Like He could possibly even be the A-side of an, of an upcoming pay-per-view, and it could be a financial success. I mean, that's a, a humongous step in your career, so that, that's really important for Thurman. The PBC has a lot of stake here, too, and look, more on that in a second. Um, but the overall point here is when you add in all the factors described above, in the old pay-per-view universe, you point to that Pac Broner number, and you think, well, follow a sequel. It should probably do around that number again, maybe a little bit more, because Pacquiao Broner was in January. It's not a traditional pay per view time. There are a few other questions for that fight that it answered pretty well. Uh, and not that this is not that July is is you know an awesome pay per view date, but when you add all the all the factors together, it's like okay, maybe this does four fifty ish, maybe it does five hundred, maybe even a little bit more, and. Also, side note, I think we're going to have to come up with a better term than a commercial success on pay-per-view because I don't actually know if Pac Broner made money based on the guarantees paid to fighters, and it like depends what accounting you're looking at, um, and I also think that the boxing pay-per-view industry. The let's put it this way. The music industry has done so much better at reframing the conversation. Music used to be all about album sales uh in the same way that boxing was all about pay-per-view buys and the music industry has managed to reframe that conversation in a much better way than boxing has. And but let's skirt away from all the tangents I'm going on here because Larger, you know, larger point here, the numbers I'm getting that 450-ish, 500, that's where it feels like it would all be headed, in the old pay-per-view universe. But let's dive into the new part of the equation here, because it's a really fun game for hardcore fans to predict pay-per-view buy levels and compare fighters they like and promoters they like based on pay-per-view buy levels and whether a promoter can keep putting a fighter on pay-per-view and who's making more money and all that, like that stuff matters too, not just to fans, but to the industry as a whole. There's a lot of things happening behind the scenes right now in the pay-per-view business that are affecting buy rates and the financial outcomes of these fights. And let's talk about the -the behind-the-scenes stuff, but after this part is over, like, let's discuss how it affects that fun game of that boxing fans play, you know, at the bar having a drink where you play a matchmaker where who should fight who next because we're at a really interesting point where the financials will actually determine a lot of the matchmaking right now. And it's going to have a major impact at welterweight, especially for what PBC is going to have to offer up on the docket after this round of welterweight fights. First major point here: It's pretty clear to me through industry sources and industry actions that networks are getting involved in pay-per-view deals in terms of negotiating the splits for pay-per-view, kind of in an unprecedented way. I mean, this should look. This should be obvious at ESPN and you know with Top Rank, right just because what happened with ESPN on that UFC deal. I mean. The cable industry used to rely on the WWE Network – or sorry, the WWE and the UFC. The WWE was a few pay-per-views a year. UFC was doing 12 pay-per-views a year for the cable industry. ESPN just sort of came in, made that ESPN Plus deal where ESPN Plus is now the exclusive distributor of UFC pay-per-views. And they took 12 events a year, at least three or four big-time events that are big-time revenue generators – From the cable systems, well, it's pretty clear Fox is getting involved too, and they're getting Fox is getting very tough with the cable companies too. I mean, they're doing it to such an extent that they're—I mean, basically, PBC may send all of their pay-per-view fights to Fox instead of Showtime because of what Fox is negotiating with the cable systems. This even includes the Deontay Wilder fights which, side note, is crazy for Showtime because they just kind of broke their pay scale for nothing if they're going to end up seeing Deontay Wilder fight on pay-per-view on Fox. But, like, let's dive into this part first because this affects Pacquiao Thurman in a real way. And basically what is happening, and, and let me couch it by just saying what I think is happening. I mean, obviously this is stuff people are telling me, and this is stuff I'm seeing in the marketplace, you know. But... Fox is basically negotiating better splits in their agreements with the cable systems. They're using their leverage with the cable systems to do so. And I'm not really taking a moral side on this. Like I think at the very least we can all say that these deals, like these deal structures are incredibly outdated, but Fox is probably getting a much higher split than HBO or Showtime ever got. And then they're squeezing the cable systems and getting a, a much higher better overall split for the, you know, for the event. And PBC is seeing a huge benefit from that. And let's leave PBC out of this for right now because it almost doesn't matter which promoter or, in the you know, in the PBC cases, content provider that a network is using because this could just be, you know, if ESPN was doing this, and I'm sure they will be doing a, a version of it as well, Top Rank would benefit from it too. It's... What is happening, though, might have a huge impact on pay-per-view buys because there are advantages and disadvantages to using a model like this. The big advantage is something I tweeted about a few weeks ago. I saw an ad for the fight on the Women's World Cup final, which got huge ratings. Like Fox is now contractually and financially incentivized in real ways to promote the event on a national level and we're seeing that in a big way. I mean, the Women's World Cup Finals ad, like that happened, I mean, if you want to get super technical, it technically happened like a few minutes before the start of the game. So maybe it was still technically the pregame show and that might have cost less than an actual ad during the actual game. But it was either one of the last ads or the last ad on the preview show before the start of the game. Uh, or you know, and And there had to be a huge audience for it. I mean, the game had something like 25 million, like, the, the, the game had a huge audience. I think, you know, it, it was it was close. I think when you count both all the networks involved, it might have been 25 million. Like, the Fox in particular might have at least been at 15 or something like that. Um, and during the, two, like just for context, like, during the 2015 Women's World Cup, the final ads were, like, $500,000 for a 30-second ad for that. And I mean, I'm sure they've gone up since Maybe you can say they're cheaper on the pregame show again, but, like, this is this is several hundred grand for 30 seconds that Fox is, is spending right here, or at least costing themselves in revenue. The other stuff Fox is doing, like, I've definitely heard, like, I've heard live reads and ads on Fox Sports Radio when I drive around. FS1, I've seen it all over FS1, and they're definitely talking about it. Like, Fox as a whole is definitely getting behind this fight in a real way. Like you're seeing these guys everywhere on Fox. But if you're squeezing the cable system, there's a big swing going the other way as well. So in the contracts negotiated for these types of fights, the cable companies all agree to play the ad to, you know, a number of times to get a certain number, like they, they would call it a total ratings point or a gross ratings points, that they'll agree to play the ad till it hits a certain number of gross ratings points. And then possibly even contribute money on a co-op basis with the promoter in those, you know, in certain markets that are selected. And without getting too technical on what's happening on this kind of stuff, what PBC and what usually every other promoter has done in the past is they try to get as much co-op spent as possible for a pay-per-view fight because it essentially means you're splitting the cost with the cable companies. Unless you're greatly incentivized, they have financial skin in the game because they're buying ads with you, and it greatly incentivizes them to do other additional things for the fight. So you're getting a discount on the ads you buy for the fight, uh, and you're getting to actually select ad rev ad uh, inventory that's outside of the quote unquote Fox universe. So even if Fox is distributing the fight, you can buy local ads on ESPN or Turner or anywhere you want to as long as it's within that local cable system. So the problem is that to get that co-op spend, usually the cable system wants the highest split possible with the promoter. So that's when you start to get really complicated. Remember, Fox is squeezing the cable systems to get a much lower split than is traditionally Uh, than they've traditionally gotten. So so remember here, without getting – like, I'll try to keep this as simple as possible. On a national level, Fox is devoting a lot of resources to promoting the fight. But on a local level, and let's consider the local level each city that the cable systems, you know, one cable system, usually it's one or two cable systems that dominate each specific market when you get to the local level, the cable companies are actually disincentivized to devote a lot of resources towards selling the fight. And when you profile the most likely buyer of a boxing pay-per-view, it's still a cable subscriber who is most likely to purchase the event through their cable system. So that pipeline matters a lot. And I think that's actually one of the factors that aided the Spence Garcia fight, because if you look at who watches the PBC fights on Fox, it skews as a much older audience, which doesn't help ad sales for the live Fox show, but it definitely helps pay-per-view sales. I mean, I can tell you from industry sources that while Fox has done a great job as a national entity selling the Pac-Thurman fight, on the cable local level, it's kind of a mess. Like Usually this thing has kind of been figured out weeks in advance, and even two weeks before the fight, it hadn't really been figured out yet. And and the co-op spends they're talking about are really low, like in the universe of projecting under 350,000 pay-per-view buys or even less. So really what we're starting to get at for this event and and what's more important, you ask, you, you have to identify here. What is more important? Is it that big bazooka that Fox has on a national level in terms of promoting the fight or How can you be nimble and sort of more surgical and work intelligently in local markets to know how much you should be spending to get the high, you know, to profile the best candidates to buy the fight on a local level? And I mean, it's a big question because it's going to have a big impact on pay-per-view sales. I mean, I'll tell you, in the HBO days, we would have done anything... To have the kind of promotional power that Fox and ESPN have in terms of pushing a pay per view. But that was also operating under the assumption that we would be really smart and work around the edges to maximize buys on a local level. Like the analogy I'll use here is what we saw in the NBA this summer. Like the Lakers and Knicks are known as franchises that don't make smart moves around the edges, like they aren't forward thinking. They don't make games on the margins to maximize their potential. Like they, they don't know what players really want. You know, whereas in the last few years, the, the Clippers and Nets were known as franchises who thought they were very forward-thinking, very progressive, they've made the right moves on the margins, all that kind of stuff. Well, when it comes to the big free agency year this year, everybody except the Knicks got their major free agents. And it sort of tells you that if you're smart at working around the edges, it probably will work out for you. So for the for the Clippers and for the Nets, it did work out for them because they were smart. Now, it did work out for the Lakers, and I mean, I guess the analogy I'd use for that is like, hey, maybe that's just a heavyweight fight where, you know, Wilder Fury 2 is just going to do a million buys because by that point in February, there'll be enough pent up demand for it, and it's just a big enough fight that no one can ignore it. And maybe that's what the Lakers did, but look, the Knicks struck out. Because this fight is pack out, because Fox is behind it, and because it's 50-50 in their real stakes, I mean, if everybody here was smarter on the edges too, and they had that national sort of Fox bazooka, and look, we're not in the NFL yet, that's the true Fox sort of powerhouse marketing approach, but like God, if you put it in the fall and it had the NFL, like, I mean, you could even talk, this could be doing like 750,000 buys or something like that. Like, this could really approach what Pacquiao was doing in some of those pre Marquez four fights. You know, maybe not a million, but it like this could be a pretty big fight number if they were doing everything correctly. But because it appears they don't have their act together on the margins, which might matter a lot more with the few, with sort of the huge. Mouthpiece with Fox, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if this fight did less than three hundred fifty thousand buys. Like it really wouldn't. I think they priced it well, but I guess the bottom line here is no one really knows what's more important for doing pay per view buys. We just don't. This this is kind of this is new territory. Like most likely, I think it'll fall somewhere in the middle and maybe this will just get 500,000 pay-per-view buys or 450 or whatever, you know, just because that's somewhere in between and maybe in the, and the good stuff will help it and the negative stuff will hurt it and it'll just end up somewhere in the middle. But like we don't know and we might find out that all you needed, especially because it was Pacquiao, was those big national spots from Fox. But we also might find out that Fox can only do this type of stuff on big events, and they only had one, the Women's World Cup, basically, and, and, and nothing else that really mattered greatly. And, you know, which you're not doing the local buys, and you can only advertise. Remember, Fox can only advertise like this on Fox. They can't go into ESPN or Turner or, or whatever, 10 different cable networks, and go into the local markets and really look at what. What matters? I mean, once you get past that sort of three fifty four hundred thousand pay per view by hump, like you're past the truly hardcore fan base, and you're really marketing to the casual audience. And I thought the spot was that 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 they did for this fight was good. I mean, it wasn't. I would have liked to see a little bit more action, especially when you're trying. You know, with a fight that's this closely matched, I, I thought that matters more. But the spot wasn't bad; like it was pretty good. It 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 helped market it to that casual audience, and I think maybe you could have done a little bit better. But it, overall, like I don't want to be that critical of it. It was pretty good. Like, and when you look at what has happened so far this year, I mean, look, Spence Garcia exceeded expectations. But remember, that was back when you know there was. Sort of, you know, Fox wasn't really squeezing the cable companies yet. They, they they were offering some advantages, but not. You you didn't feel this pressure that you you hear definitely just emanating from the cable industry. I'm sure PBC would be thrilled if this thing did five hundred thousand buys. I'm sure Fox would too. But I'll probably, like, if I had to guess, like let's say in the four hundred to four fifty range. But like, let's be clear, nothing would surprise me here. If this promotion was really activating the local cable markets, like I would definitely be predicting over 500,000 buys, maybe even 600. Anyone who tells you they know what the buy rate is, is basically full of shit right now because we are truly in uncharted territory when it comes to promoting a pay-per-view fight. Even four years ago, you used to be able to just go to DirecTV, plug in how many orders there were on Wednesday or Thursday night of fight week, By Friday at noon, you were sort of able to spit out a pretty accurate number. And then once the fight was over on Monday-ish, you would sort of get a number from DirecTV that would be pretty accurate for the buy rate. And that's how journalists got it. And that's how execs knew what it was. But we're no longer in that world. DirecTV barely does anything to promote fights right now. They have much bigger things to worry about because they are hemorrhaging subs. And some of that has even gotten really public With what you can read on sort of the NFL's negotiations with DirecTV for the cable, you know, the Sunday uh, ticket package for them, cable companies are losing subscribers too, maybe not quite at the same rate, but they're definitely losing subscribers too. And no one knows how that affects pay-per-view buys because remember, your your cable subscriber, still you're most likely – all you got to do is click one button. Like you don't have to enter your credit card information or anything like that. It's still – the easiest way to get a pay-per-view fight, and it's the easiest way to buy it. The UFC turned that model on its head with the ESPN deal. And remember, it was doing huge digital numbers even before that. Boxing doesn't have the leverage with guaranteed scheduled events that the UFC does. It's always fight by fight. But I think we're starting to get to a major turning point right now, and we're going to actually learn a lot from Pacquiao Thurman. You know, again, coming back to those heavyweight fights, I think they're so big, both figuratively and literally, that and they bring so much attention to it that no matter what happens, they're gonna be okay on pay-per-view. Uh, the Andy Ruiz Anthony Joshua fight got so much coverage everywhere that I think the rematch will also get big coverage. And and if Ruiz wins again, I mean he's clearly headed to pay-per-view for PVC. And that's going to be a huge fight. But middleweight is mostly happening on the zone, so pay per views pretty irrele- irrelevant for that. This affects welterweight in a huge way, and and let's start shift, shifting and talking about how it affects that matchmaking game that we all love playing. Like conventional wisdom here is that the PBC owns the welterweight division, and they can just match up their guys against each other, and it's all good, and. And the only guy who matters that's not with the PBC is Bud Crawford, and he's just sort of on the outs and isn't going to get a big fight for years. But the financial outcomes of the next round of fights here that they have lined up are actually going to tell us a lot because there are so many possible outcomes here. Like, I don't i don't think it could go really that bad for, for PBC and Fox on this one or PBC and Showtime too, but like... I mean, like, I don't think welterweight will ever truly fizzle out, but we're talking, like, this could stay as a glamour division and even get bigger and, and, and become a bigger money division, maybe even the middleweight, or this could really start to get muddled without a major star. I mean, there's a lot of different ways this could go, and a lot of it isn't just depending dependent on what's happening in the ring. It's really dependent on what happens outside of the ring with the finances of it. So starting with the range of pay-per-view sales, like, sale outcomes for this fight which is kind of unlike almost any fight I've ever seen, you know. I mean, really the only thing I can compare it to is when Canelo fought Chavez Jr., like the pay-per-view sales for that fight almost doubled the initial expectation level for for what pay-per-view sales would be, which, I mean, I guess I, you know, I I worked on that fight. I looked at it as, you know, I thought we did a great job. I mean, I guess (laughs) it depends on your – uh, position in the game, you know, I'm sure a lot of casuals probably just thought, you know, I sold them uh, a crappy fight, but rarely do the initial estimates. Are they that far off? Like where it's double or half or something like that of where you should be. And, and, and this is like, this is the first one going in where it's like pretty tough to figure that out. You know, like, It's really, like I said above, like any any outcome, you know, nothing would really surprise me. And if Pacquiao wins this fight and it does better than Broner, like I mean, PBC would feel pretty good about themselves with it. I mean, Pac is the only welterweight right now who is a guaranteed box office star, and you can kind of almost match him up against any other high level welterweight, and you'll be at least in good shape on pay per view in terms of buys. Uh, but not necessarily. And I mean, when you, especially when you look at the reports, that he only has one fight left on his PBC deal after this. And more on that in a second. Um, I, I, again, I don't know that that's true. Those are the reports I've heard and I've read. Spence versus Porter, though, and then Garcia versus Garcia. And remember, I, I think there's going to be a pay-per-view fight September 28th. It'll probably either be... Wilder Ortiz too, or then Spence Porter. It'll probably be one of those two. And I know Garcia. I know Mikey Garcia has made comments that Mikey Garcia and Danny Garcia, that fight may not happen. I have actually heard that it's still fairly close to being on track. But let's just look at the welterweight fights here. Spence Porter and Garcia Garcia. They're both fights. You can't imagine they're going to be too high in terms of pay per view buy rates. Like like they're both really good fights that I want to see, but they bring huge commercial question marks. I mean, with Spence, you need to ask, like, did he do all those pay-per-view buys because he energized Garcia's audience with that dare to be great fight for Garcia? Or does Spence have a legit fan base that's going to stick with him no matter what on pay-per-view? With Mikey Garcia, you have to wonder same thing. Like, does he have a legit audience for himself or did that audience just vaporize because he looked so poor in the ring against Spence? Like, these are fights on pay-per-view and, and this is old universe before Fox brings you know the NFL special to to marketing this kind of fight and, and and all that comes with you know those bigger events in the fall that Fox has. I mean remember baseball playoffs too are on Fox in the fall. Like old universe, these are less than two hundred thousand pay per view buy rates. Like that's what kind of matchups they are. Maybe a little bit more. But like that's kind of the that that's the number where they're at. Like, there's certainly you're not thinking you're hitting four hundred on these. I mean, maybe even worse. Like some of these, there's like maybe even way worse. But and even going back to that pay per view business battle question we're talking about here, are fights like this, especially the the Spence Garcia, you know Spence Porter and Garcia Garcia. Are those fights where you – what's more important, the big national ads or being really smart and heavily marketing the cities and you know, the individual markets that really matter? It's a, it's, a, it's a good question with these because they're not fights where every single market is going to have, have a great result. The national approach may not be that relevant. You know, unless you're willing to throw that NFL inventory in there, which is just so important. I mean, it can't even, like, that's the biggest thing that there is, basically. So with that, obviously, you take it. What do you do next for all these guys? Especially if some of them aren't financial successes. If Pacquiao wins and Spence wins, is Pacquiao really going to take that fight with one fight left on his PBC deal? I mean, probably not, at least without a lucrative extension or something like that. Pacquiao really wants Mayweather. And at this point, I don't blame him at all for not taking a Spence fight. I mean, I was kind of, he kind of didn't take a Crawford fight when he could have taken it plenty of times at top rank. I, you know, I don't see why he would just jump into that. I know he said he would, but who knows? I mean, he didn't look that excited about it in March. But he was in the ring with Spence after the fact. If Thurman beats Pacquiao, And then Spence wins. I think you could probably make Thurman Spence on pay-per-view. I think it would actually do pretty well. And that's even if Spence fight bombs at the box office. But is Thurman going to take that fight? He says this is a get-back year for him. When do you even make that fight? Because it's still on the borderline. You still want to do it where you've got the, the big NFL inventory. What happens if you can't make it during, you know, during January in the NFL playoffs? There's really two big questions associated with all of these matchups. The first is will someone besides the winner of Pacquiao-Thurman be commercially successful enough to carry a pay per view as an A side, and and two, will anyone in the PBC stable? I mean, obviously, besides Sean Porter who's fighting him. Errol Spence now will anyone else be willing to fight Errol Spence And there's a bunch of smaller questions that come out of these these fights too but like you know if Errol Spence beats Sean Porter but doesn't do that well on pay per view is he going to be willing to go back and fight on pay cable or fight on free TV and take the necessary pay cut to do it because that's part of the equation too with all these guys same question with Mikey Garcia and Danny Garcia Danny's never fought on pay-per-view. Mikey's probably the reason that Spence Garcia did really well at the box office, but will Mikey carry any weight going forward? I mean, how do you tell a bunch of guys who just fought on pay-per-view that they're going to have to take the same level of fight in terms of opponent, but do it not on pay-per-view and not have the financial upside of pay-per-view? And the answer to that is you probably don't. And by default, as consumers, we're in a weird catch-22 for all these fights. Consumers want to see these kind of matchups that we're getting. We're psyched about all all, all three of these welterweight fights. Garcia Garcia, Spence Porter, Pacquiao Thurman, these are great welterweight matchups. You know, One of the complaints about what PBC has done overall as an organization is that the management side wins out too often over the content side and we get too many one-sided matchups. And to be fair here, this is a complaint all over the sport, not just directed at the PVC, but the reason PVC gets most of it is because they have the most amount of high-level fighters and thus the most opportunity to make these kind of coveted matchups. But they're doing it right now. These are three great fights at welterweight. The other question out of this like I mentioned above, Welterweight, the division where PBC has virtually every significant fighter except for Bud Crawford, like are we finally going to get more of these great fights moving forward and is Bud Crawford going to be involved? I mean if Spence Porter and Garcia Garcia are low buy rates, packed beats Thurman, and holds out for a Mayweather fight. That's all totally reasonable. I mean, it might even be a likely outcome for this next stretch here. The next round of fights won't be pretty. It'll be mismatched comeback fights for the losers. The winners will likely not be fighting other winners, but B-level welterweights instead and title defenses on regular Fox and Showtime. So as a consumer... And by the way, you're definitely not going to get Bud Crawford in a fight if if they don't really work out. So as a consumer, even though your head may tell you that Spence Porter doesn't feel like a pay-per-view fight in the old sense of what a pay-per-view fight is, you have to be rooting for it to succeed. You have to hope that Fox still puts that full NFL bazooka behind the promotion. And it does well enough to sustain Spence fighting another top-level guy on pay-per-view. I single out Spence here in particular because people who know who listen to the show for a while they know this by now like I think Spence is a generational talent and I think other PBC fighters have avoided him. I think he got a blessing when Mikey Garcia dared to be great. You know, I guess out of all the other ones I've thought Porter, you know, would be the most likely to fight him, but I'm not sure anyone else fights him unless it's for big money. So we need to root for Spence to become a commercial like a really commercial draw here. With Bud Crawford, it's on the wrong side of the aisle and all that, sh- all, all all that stuff that comes with it. And to a certain extent, yes, Bud Crawford is on the wrong side of the aisle at welterweight. But I, I've never truly been sure that's the case. And I think there's a pathway here where we might see Bud Crawford fight one of the PBC guys, hopefully Errol Spence, faster than most people believe. Like I said, it goes back to Errol Spence. Like if he becomes a legit commercial draw against anyone, then maybe this isn't the case. But if he's somewhere in between, you know, if that, that term that I love to use, if he's neither fish nor foul, if he's a pay-per-view fight against a great, another great fighter, but not against, you know, that just below level, maybe maybe that fight happens sooner than we think. I don't see welterweights on the PBC side lining up to face Spence. So the only way that's going to happen is if his opponents can get overpaid. Because if you don't do that, all that you're left with is Spence taking care of mandatories like Carlos Ocampo again. You know, and there's a Pacquiao question I mentioned earlier. If Pacquiao wins, he wouldn't fight Crawford when he was with top rank. Why would he fight Spence now? And by the way, I don't think he's scared. I just think he's 40. He doesn't need to fight these guys. Plus, if he's one fight left on his deal, God, you're one, you know, if you really need the money, you're just one fight away from starting another bidding war between PBC and TopRank for your services. I mean, if you're PBC here, the best outcome for you is Thurman beating Pacquiao this weekend and doing well on paper. And Spence beating Porter and having it be a pretty commercially successful fight as well so you can make Spence Thurman next. That's a home run for several reasons for the PVC. Obviously, it means you can just make the fight on its own and both guys are going to get paid enough so that they'll just want to do it. And it also importantly makes the winner of that fight a bigger commercial star than Crawford so then, when you're ready to to actually make the Crawford fight, your guy is the A side. But I think my overall point here is: let's not sit here and say PBC has so much control over this division that we're five years away of seeing Bud Crawford in any meaningful fight other than, you know, what you know, the the not that important fighters on you know welterweight fighters on top rank. I mean that's just not the case like you you know there's there's real pathways to us seeing Crawford and Spence fight sooner than everybody thinks but going back to PBC I applaud PBC for making these upcoming welterweight fights they haven't aggressively matched their guys like this before especially in such a consecutive fashion where we really see them build to something Most fans, I mean, I'm sure no one th- is thrilled that these fights are all going to pay per view. And I'm sure one of them is probably going to not work out, especially with what I mentioned earlier about the cable systems and how it shakes out. I mean, it's going to determine what we see after this. Like, there's a worst case scenario where it doesn't build to anything. And we just go back to seeing a bunch of the really good guys fighting in complete mismatches back on regular TV and then not even getting great ratings after that. And we really haven't even mentioned the other factor that comes with making a fight. And let's just use, I don't, you know, I've just used Spence Porter as the example all along, but I think it's actually relevant for this point too. We haven't mentioned the opportunity cost of putting a fight like Spence Porter on pay-per-view instead of regular Fox because the same NFL marketing blitz bazooka that I've been talking about that worked really well in January, you know, for the Caleb Plant fight, especially God, you could, you can use that to promote a pay-per-view, but you could also use that to promote a fight like Spence Porter on regular Fox which would be the best candidate out there in 2019 to draw a huge TV audience for Fox and prove that boxing can get just as big of an audience on regular Fox as any other sport. I mean, obviously not the NFL and maybe not like world series or something like that, but certainly a big enough rating that as far as that second tier of sports that goes beyond the sort of big four traditional, there's a big event that draws a huge audience. And, 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 and that's, that's what you want to see from having this Fox deal happen in the first place. We missed the opportunity for that. And that's like a prove the business model type fight. You know, I'm going back to, I know, I know we've been jumping around here But there's just a lot of different factors that affect all this. I actually think there is hope on the horizon for Crawford. And let me just talk a little bit further about that. He's going to take care of his mandatory in the fall. And look, whether or not Aram and Top Rank forced the WBO to make that mandatory now in in sort of like a Machiavellian move, like – it's great in terms for the Crawford narrative. Like he has to take this fight. That's why he's fighting you know, against Cavaluzkas that no one's heard of. But with the fight after that, I mean, Top Rank might have options. If Ramirez beats Hooker and wants to move up, like that's a legit option. If Top Rank can sign Progre if he wins the World Boxing Super Series and he's openly said he wants to fight Crawford, like that's an option. I know Pacquiao is in, in, in the past and he doesn't want to fight Crawford. But again, I go back to that. If he really only has one fight left on his deal and PBC won't give him Mayweather, you know, he certainly doesn't want to fight Spence, then if you're managing Manny Pacquiao's career, you got to get past that last fight and then his services are up for bids. And you're going to have to dangle the Spence fight to PBC and the Crawford fight top rank. And that's what's going to get you your payday. So, I mean, that Spence-Crawford fight, it clearly isn't happening this fall. But there's a there's definitely a pathway to having it happen in 2020 that I think people are ignoring. So... Before we go into the preview section, I just want to say and again, this has been a long deep dive with lots of, of twists and turns here. But there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack about what is happening in the pay-per-view industry right now. I mean, look, I didn't even spend much time talking about just how significant it is that Fox might be getting the Deontay Wilder fight, and 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 basically Fox might get all the future PBC fights on pay-per-view. I think it's super significant that PVC is putting on such great welterweight matchups, and this is a big risk for them. I know people are like, "Oh, that's how you have to do it. That's how you have to make the money and everything." We don't know. I mean, like these fights are all fights that that could do a lot less than people think. The financial results from them are going to go a long way towards determining what we're going to see next and i hope we see some clarity at the top of the division the only way we're going to get that is if these fights do well all right let's go to the preview section friday july 19th from Oxon hill maryland on espn plus we have tiafimo lopez fighting masayoshi nakatami in a 12 round ibf eliminator Maxim Dadashev fights Subriel Madias in an IBF junior welterweight eliminator on the undercard. No odds on these fights uh, yet, which pretty much tells you something. But for me, the main event here is interesting. I understand why they did it and why they set it up. Um, I think it's a pretty good narrative for top rank. This is sort of the first-round counterpart to that Richard Comey-Ray Beltran fight. And let's be honest like Comey Beltran was exciting TV but we probably knew Comey was gonna win Lopez Nakatami I' you know pretty much for me anytime Lopez fights it's interesting TV but we probably know he's gonna win it gets it gets interesting if you know what what happens after this I mean I think uh, it's still it's a major step up for for Lopez this fight and then Comey is a really interesting fight for Lopez and it's a unification fight. I think that's really smart to build that up, uh, and and <clears throat> that's a legit chance for a great rating on ESPN. Uh, when you look at the undercard, you know, Dadashev is one of those Russian prospects who's not really a prospect anymore. I mean, he's thirteen zero at twenty eight years old, couple of recognized names at this point, uh, you know. If he wins this, I think he'll be the mandatory for Tevin Farmer, who, you know, in addition to being on his own, has now fought a couple, of impressive opponents in a row. Uh, it's a weight class where there's a lot of action. I've talked about this weight class a lot, and I, you know, interesting. Let's just put it that way. Interesting here. Dezone is picking up on on Saturday, the July twentieth. DeZone is picking up the Dillian White Oscar Rivas card. I'm interested in some of the undercards. I mean, again, there's some really <laughs> potentially sloppy heavyweight fun here with Spielka Chisora and David Price, David Allen. But obviously, the main event is is really good. I mean, Dillian White Oscar Rivas is a really good fight. Really interested in seeing that. And July twentieth is a great day of fights. White is around a four or five to one favorite in most books. Chizor is a little bit higher than three to one. It's a good comeback fight for him. And I think, again, with all heavyweights in this day and age, like these are all big fights. These guys can all be big time opponents against one of the, you know, main four guys in the division at this point. And uh, these are all good matchups. You know, let's go to the really big one, Saturday, July 20th on Fox pay per view. I think we talked Thurman Pacquiao to death, basically, but let's talk about the undercard here for a second. You're Dennis Ugas versus Omar Figueroa in a WBC uh, welterweight eliminator. Sergey uh, Lipinets versus John Molina at welterweight, and then Luis Neri versus Juan Carlos Payano at bantamweight. Caleb Plant fighting Mike Lee for Plant's IBF super middleweight title in a non-pay-per-view undercard on Fox. We'll also see FAA Jagbe there. I'm very curious to see how the undercard on Fox does I think it's, like, this whole undercard in general is pretty fun. Like, at least you're going to have a nice long day of boxing entertainment. I mean, the main event is fantastic, as I said. I I love the fight. And the undercard, I'll just say, I mean, I think it's an upgrade from most pay-per-view undercards we get. There's nothing that's can't miss. I mean, let's be honest about that. Like, when you look at the odds, Pack is a slight favorite. I went over that in the beginning. Ugas is like a 3 or 4 to 1 favorite over Figueroa. And that fight could end up being good TV, but it also could end up not being good TV. I mean, I don't know. Like, and I don't really think it's that close. I think Ugas is a clear favorite here. Lippinjats is like fourteen or fifteen to one over Molina, and I think that's even being generous. I think he could even be a bigger favorite. is like a twenty to one favorite over Piano. Plant anywhere from fourteen to one to thirty three to one at most books. I think you know I would place it as twenty five to one, something like that. Let's move to the following weekend. Let's start with the Showtime card. Saturday, July 27th from Baltimore on Showtime. Gervonta Davis fighting Ricardo Nunez for Davis' kind of BS WBA junior welterweight title. Remember, Andrew Cancio has the real WBA junior welterweight title here. Also on the card, Yorkis Gamboa fights Rocky Martinez at lightweight. Jezreel uh, Corrales fights Ladarius Miller, also at lightweight. Um, It was only a few episodes ago that we did the deep dive on Showtime. This card is not helping things all that much. I mean, Davis is a really intriguing fighter, but his competition level uh, over the course of his career and really recently has not been great. I mean, Pedraza is a legit win. Maybe Cuellar is solid-ish, but I'm not really sure what the next best win is, and especially since this is a loaded weight class. Like, There's plenty of opportunities for Davis to fight better guys than what he has, and Ricardo Nunez is just not that. So the other fights, I mean, they could be fun. They don't really feel like Showtime undercard fights to me. Gamboa versus Rocky Martinez, again, it could be really fun. It's probably a couple years too late, and it feels like, you know, the worst version of it would be like a Fox uh, time-by-card, but, like, it, it's okay. I mean, let's let's say it could be fun. Corrales versus Miller is, you know, probably not a fight that I need to see on Showtime. I and mean, Corrales was a legit fighter. We'll see if he still is. But no odds out yet on these fights. Also on Saturday, July twenty seventh, definitely the best fight of the weekend is on zone from Arlington, Texas. Mo Hooker fighting Jose Ramirez in a junior welterweight unification fight, WBO and WBC titles at stake. Also on the card, Tevin Farmer fights Guillaume Frenoy, Frenoy Frenois, something like that. Who knows? For Farmer's IBF Junior Lightweight title, and Murat Gassiev makes his debut at heavyweight against Joey Deweyko. Uh The undercard fights aren't much better, or might not, not might not even be better at all than the Showtime ones. And the the Farmer fight, the Farmer fight, might be significantly worse. Um, he, you know, you give him credit for being active. But it is now also another string of uninspired opponents um, that he has been active against. So I'd love to see him in against someone tough next. Gassiev Diweco is interesting for me. Just I know it gets set up as a Gassiev victory, but this is anything even slightly meaningful at heavyweight. Right now it's a significant fight, and you're seeing a lot of them like the last couple weeks. Gassiev is is a significant fighter who will make some good fights at heavyweight, and Dweyko is apparently the guy who dropped AJ in sparring, depending on what you believe. Really the main event, though, here. Super significant fight for a lot of reasons. Mo Hooker, Jose Ramirez. It is TV-friendly. It is closely matched. It's basically even odds. It is a title unification fight. The winner can possibly get a fight with the winner of the World Boxing Super Series and unify all the titles, it's the product of a network trade where Ramirez comes from the top rank ESPN side, Hooker is from the Hearn to Zone side. We love to see more of those. Depending on who wins and what happens next, there's really big fights on either side, like I said. Like not only could be a WBSS thing, there could be a Terrence Crawford fight for for the winner. Who knows where we could go from here? It's really a big bet by Top Rank and Hearn that, you know, that their guy. Whoever that guy is, is going to be victorious. And there's lots of spoils here for the winner. Uh, None of the other cards, there's there's not odds out for any of the other undercards, but Ramirez is a slight favorite. It's basically even odds. It's basically a coin flip. I am now looking. I've I've almost gone an hour and 20 minutes where I've just talked consecutively. I think this is my longest podcast to date. I'm going to leave it at this. I think... I'm very excited to come back and talk about what happens in the pay-per-view results for Thurman Pacquiao. I'm very excited to see how these results shake out. And there's a lot at stake. Do not, do not, uh, you know, I I think I've talked it to death. There is a lot at stake here. Uh, My next episode is definitely going to be shorter than this because no matter what topic I pick, I don't think there will be quite so much information and quite so many ways to talk about this but enjoy these fights see you guys in two weeks talk to you then did you get what you was looking for